This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Tomahome. Hi, I'm Fred. And we are going to discuss Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. Uh, I think that it came out in 2012. And, Fred, you, you chose this book, didn't you? Yes, I did. Were you reading it prior to our uh, podcast? Is that what made you think it would be a good choice? Yeah, we read it for the uh, science fiction and fantasy literary uh uh, book discussion group uh, that we have here in Ann Arbor. Found, the one uh, that Eric, Eric used to be involved in? That's right, he was the founder. And um, so I read it um, on the Kindle for that group, and then when you agreed to have it on the show, um, then I I got the, the audio version from the library. So I went yes. through it twice. Uh, is it better the second time? Definitely, for two reasons. Uh, first of all, the beginning half of the book, which is so confusing and scattered, makes more sense once you've, you're very uh, familiar with all the characters and see right. where they're eventually going to fit in together. Uh, and then uh, the second reason is because I became a huge fan of the audio version and the. Uh, oh yeah, it's good. It's a, a read, very good narrative. Read by Daniel Wayman. That sounds right. And I think that he is one of the best um, uh, narrators I've ever heard. The The only thing that compares is uh, would be um, that Philip K. Dick book, um, uh, Scanner Darkly, which was read oh. by um, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, he's That's good. a phenomenal performance, and I absolutely recommend that uh, uh, audio book as well. And I was not really a Philip K. Dick fan until I heard that book, and then finally I felt like, uh, now I understand <clears throat> what the big deal with Philip K. Dick is. So um, Daniel Wayman is just a phenomenal actor, and he performs all the characters in this book, and it's so much clearer. You, you feel like you know them even better. So um, thanks to his his work, I mean, some books I think are better read and some books are better listened to like for example uh we did uh for the starship sofa podcast tony c smith asked me to read along uh neil stevenson's anathem with him and i was reading the hard copy and he was doing the audiobook <laughs> and he was so furious at me for picking that book <laughs> and, and um well we kind of mutually agreed but the, the you know there's a glossary i don't know if you've ever read anathem no. Oh, yeah, and it, it has uh, made-up terms. And, uh, right, so it has a glossary, and if you listen to the audiobook, the first, I don't know what it is, 20, 30 minutes, is the glossary. <laughs> sitting there for the first first half hour just listening to, you know, so I've got the book right here. And so it's sort of like, uh, you know, you know, convox, and uh, what are all the words? Jabber, is that one? Uh, cell phones. Oh, well, I can't. I can't even find it. Anyway. So it's not. It would be best. It's, it's a terrible book, and not to mention, I think it's over thirty hours on audio. Yeah. That's well, a terrible not, book for this audio. Not that short either. It's eighteen chapters or eighteen parts, or is it how many hours is it? It's it's, it's a it's a chunky book. Angel Maker. 
Yeah, 600 pages, it's something 16, like that. 18. I think it, uh, Tom Ahome, you were saying that it was like 18 hours. But yeah, it's 18 hours, and I have two audio files that are nine hours each. Yeah, I, yeah. and of them would be almost double that. Yeah. So, but anyway, I think um, Angel Maker is a fabulous audio experience. So that's yeah, the way I, I, I would recommend Yeah, I agree. audio is very good. Um, I but, have uh, some problems with the book. <laughs> I mean, I, mean uh, I'm, I disagree a little bit about... Uh, approaching the audio for the first time and you really have to pay attention because this is a very intricate book and if you do if you miss things then uh it gets harder to uh follow along yeah that's true i mean i did in like i say about the maybe the first third i found myself like reading a paragraph and then i would stop and say am i am i gonna really go back and read that one too again because i'm not absorbing this and uh, that was frustrating. So, yeah, you know, maybe I am biased because it was the second time through for me that the audio. Well, uh, before we get too deep into that, I want to talk about our sponsor. And uh, I got to ask you guys, do you listen to podcasts? Why? Because yes. I do. <laughs> Pam, you listen to podcasts, don't you? Oh, yeah. Even SF audio sometimes. <laughs> so only sometimes. Well, that's I listen, I listen to podcasts, and I had to uh, change my phone recently because the logic board died on it for no reason. I didn't put it in any water or anything. But, I, I mean, I, I, I got a replacement, and the replacement had the new iOS system, which is terrible. Um, and that decouples the audiobooks uh, and the podcasts from the music app and puts them into separate apps. There's no bones about it you have to you can't do a workaround like there was on previous versions so i was very frustrated because the podcast app of um made by apple is just completely shitty um doesn't work properly and you know tries to force you to listen to the top 10 podcasts which are totally uninteresting to me um so i went in search of a podcast app and uh, Seth recommended some, and I, I did tons of research. I spent like maybe six, seven hours reading online what podcast app to get. And the one I chose was Downcast, and it is fabulous. It's actually way better than the previous uh, way I was doing podcasts because it allows you to ultra-customize every feed. Um, you can, for example, one of the complaints I had about podcasts uh, is that they're not loud enough. A lot of people don't know how to do their mix. So I, I make sure that every SFF audio podcast is, you know, right at the top of the volume so that you can just turn it down if you want. But if I turn up a, a quiet podcast to the maximum, I'm still not hearing it because it's just not going to work. Well, one way to deal with that is to take the MP3 file and run it through level later and then put it back on your iPod. But that's stupid, and I've only done that a couple of times when the content was something I really wanted. Well, guess what? Downcast has that built in. So you can actually up podcast sound automatically, and you can do it for all podcasts, or you can just do it for that particular podcast. That's one feature that, I mean, that is enough uh, enough that I, I would have spent three times what I paid for it, because I listen to podcasts all day long. And this is something I really care about. Uh, you guys ever heard of a podcast that was too quiet? Oh, yes. I'm glad to say yeah, uh, ruined it. You run, 
it, the one you run is nice and loud. Um, but there are a few out there. Even like, um, for example, Tam, you know, uh, Hardcore History and uh, Common Sense, they are a little bit too quiet. Their volume mix is a little down. And I understand why they do that. It's kind of is to make it sound better. But if you're not sitting at home playing with a volume control, it just doesn't work. You have to be able to pump it up a little bit. If you're listening in a noisy environment, you need to have it louder. I guess I play it in my car and I just kind of up the volume a little bit. Well, in your car, you've got more amperage, right? Yeah. Um, In my Bluetooth earbuds, it doesn't work. But cars are noisy environments, and um, that's where a lot of people do their listening. So, uh, you know, you really do need to compress, uh, uh, and yeah, a a built-in compressor, like that would be a really nice feature. Yeah, you can up it by uh, three times, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some distortion, but that happens no matter what. You, thing you do it so um the podcast app is called downcast it's three bucks and i like i said i would have paid three times that or ten times that because i use podcasts all day long and i want to be able to do it one other feature this is amazingly cool um you can automatically update your feed on the go anytime so you, if you are expecting a podcast that might be late, for example, and you're really looking forward to it, or you hear somebody talking about a podcast, you just swish your little thumb across the screen and it will update it. Uh, and then you you say, well, wait, I don't want to get it on my data roaming fees. You know, I don't want to cost my plan anything. Well, it can set it up so that it, it puts it in the queue, if you like, to download next time you're at Wi-Fi. So... You can see that there's a new show out, and it'll say, oh, good. And then you just drive over to wherever your Wi-Fi is, right, and you're, uh, you're downloading. It's amazing. I, I, I don't need to sync my phone anymore. Also, um, if, it's, if it's not in the iTunes store, um, you're not going to be able to get it on the Apple Podcast app. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, for example, my HuffDuffer feed, um, which is, you know, uh, a feed that's made specifically for me, by me, and I can ultra customize it. I can put that in just by typing in the code. It, it takes like half a second. It's, it's super smart. I've never seen an app this good. Admittedly, I, I don't, uh, buy a lot of apps. Uh, mostly I get the free ones and I end up deleting them because they're terrible. This one really, really works and I, I, I heartily recommend it. Yes, so uh, SF Signal has a podcast called The Three Horsemen, H-O-A-R-S-E-M-E-N. And for some reason, they can't get it to work in the iTunes store. So the only re- way for me to listen to it is to get the Downcast app and play it through there. So that's oh, so how you're I- using it? Yeah, so I can't play it in the, in the Apple podcast app at all. Uh, how long have you had Downcast? Sounds like you, you probably had it longer than me because Horseman's an old show, right? Uh, I don't know, several months, but yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are needing to do this because of the the new iOS screwing up their podcasts, and uh, the new uh, Apple Podcast app is god awful. Hmm. Hey, but I think we've talked enough about this uh, wonderful sponsor that we've got. Why don't we move on to our actual book, <laughs> or okay. back to our actual book? Back to our regular programming. Back to our regular programming. 
So uh, I don't yeah, think I, you know. I don't think we're going to be able to discuss this, Jesse, because you were telling uh, us that you had absolutely no opinion whatsoever about the book. Isn't that right? Well, Is that you might be right about that. I, I, wait, it's coming back to me. It's reforming. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the things that I first thought is this is uh, Neverwhere. This is Neverwhere by somebody else. Mm. Uh, you guys read uh, Gaiman's book, Neverwhere? Not really. I saw the no? TV show. Okay, the TV show is kind of, uh, kind of like the book. I watched about 15 minutes of the show, and when the guy started eating the rat, that was, <laughs> that was it for me. I turned it off. <laughs> I couldn't take it. Well, there's uh, those characters are practically in this book. <laughs> yeah, uh, well. uh, the the those are the two of the baddies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the things that it makes it like is he's got a a voice uh, a writing voice not too dissimilar from Neil Gaiman. And then I, I heard Nick Harkaway on a podcast. He's got the exact same accent as Neil Gaiman. Oh. Um, and uh, they're. Somewhat contemporaneous in age, I think. Uh, maybe Harkaway's a little younger. But one of the things that uh, is makes this not a Neil Gaiman book, which, by the way, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan, uh, is that it doesn't. It it feels completely undisciplined, uh, or it is completely undisciplined yes, when that is you're true. reading the page to page. You. The the arrow, the through line, is so meandering yes. that it's not a novel in the normal, traditional sense of, uh, hey, we had an editor, we went through and we said, what what's going on in this scene? Where where are we going with this? Um, it's totally, uh, somebody pointed out that in one of the reviews that one of the characters even you know, makes the complaint that the prose was too plummy. Um, and the thing is, is I think, you know, if, if this, if Harkaway had had a, like a, a, an editor with a strong whip hand, this would be a much better book. Yes. Um, but there's lots of great ideas in it. And I think that's his problem. <laughs> He's enamored by all these cool ideas. Well, and I think, I think, uh, a lot of people, I uh, agree with you. I, I was skimming the Goodreads reviews, and I have never in my life seen so many negative, angry, even bitter five-star reviews of huh. anything I've ever seen. The four- and five-star reviews, they're all really negative, and then at some point they'll stop and say, oh, you did notice, right, that I gave this four stars or five stars. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess I should mention the stuff I liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the one percent of people it says gave gave it a one star review. The forty percent gave it four star review, and then the rest the rest is a mix. But mostly, I mean, this is a very highly rated book on Goodreads. You know, to get a three point nine nine is way different than getting a three point five. Right. I have a huge problem with the rating systems because really what you do is you end up reading the nuance between 3.5 and 3.9. And that's the entire range of books. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's if it's got any number of readers, it's going to be somewhere in the threes. But but that partly that um, that's that's a function of the fact that if you don't like a book, you will frequently just stop reading it. And then that's right. I, I don't. I 
frequently will not review something I didn't finish. You know, you have to really disclaim uh, a review of something that was so bad you had to stop. And so, it, you know, there's uh, unlike, say, oh, I don't know, a movie where people will usually sit through it even if they didn't like it. So um, there's, a, there's a self-selection going on there, which means the negative it gets thrown out a lot. Books take a lot of time. Yeah, they do. Especially long books, like 16, 18-hour books that should be maybe five- or six-hour books. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is there's other mistakes, too. Um, and, you know, I, I'm going to shit on this book for a little while, but uh, there are redeeming things. But one of the things is the tense is wrong. Why is it present tense? Third-person present tense. Uh, or was it everyday tense? It's like um, John says this is good. Mary s- thinks that's a bad idea. Why is it that way? Why why isn't it past tense? Well, what purpose does it make it? Why, what's the logic there? Does the tense change with the flashbacks? No, it doesn't. Oh. And that that's, doesn't make it easier. Doesn't that make that- it breezy and more informal? Uh, you know, like... So you wouldn't believe this happened to me. You know, I'm driving down the road and, you know, a uh, monkey jumped out of a truck or, you know, it's it's more like conversational party, party storytelling or something. 16 hour shaggy story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesse, I feel sorry. I did this to you, didn't I? Uh, You did. Um, Now, the thing is, is I don't. Okay, you you, you brought into his horizon. That's that's the way I look at it. I don't like most books. Um, I read a lot of the classics, it seems. Um, and I think the reason I do that is because I like good, really, really good writing. Um, and there are good writers today. I think Neil Gaiman's one of them. Uh, you know, Ted Chang, amazing writer. You, you, you work uh, on uh, protecting Project Pulp, which uh, to me sh- should be protecting Project Good Pulp. Um, you know, not just any old pulp. Oh, believe me, there but, is we there there are stories so bad that uh, we will not run them. Yes, that is indeed. true. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> yes. Um, but on the other hand, I'm uh, you when, say that. oh no, 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 no. See, the thing is, is there was tons of writing long ago, but the stuff that's still being talked about or still influential tends to have some value that is not just you know whatever is hot on Goodreads this week. Right. And I'm not sure Angel Maker will be remembered in 100 years at all. But it's possible Nick Harkway's got some very interesting um, interests. He's interested in interesting things. And I wanted to like, I wanted him to go somewhere with these plots and think about, uh, not plots, these uh, ideas that he's working with. But because there's so many tangents and divergence within the the text, there isn't really time to really sit down and think about anything. It's all um, breezy, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, to me, it's rather unfortunate because um, he's he's like uh, sort of a Neil Gaiman who's interested in sort of history and science rather than just uh, mythology and um and good writing. <laughs> He's like Neil Gaiman's wild son. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah, n- not only not only is Nick Harkaway interested 
in lots of interesting things and has a lot of interesting things to say about them in interesting ways. But also all of his every single one of his characters also is interested in interesting things and interested in talking about them in very erudite and literary ways. And after about the fifth minor character walks in and starts making clever literary allusions or just simply speaks with a massive vocabulary. You think, oh, okay, uh, we need a little variety here. This is, this is great, but too much, too much of a good thing. Well, well you do have some very sexually aggressive women to, uh, offset that. Well, and this is a, this is a pulp fiction novel. And so it's got all those elements. It's, got, we, we should list them because, um, our, you know, we haven't really like given a plot overview or anything. I'd I mean, love for you to explain the plot to me. Okay. Uh, well, advice. Uh, I, I kind of get the idea. Joe, jo, Joe Spork is the son of the notorious gangster, uh, Matthew Tommy Gunn Spork. Uh, he's trying to get out from, out of the shadow of his famous father by uh, following in his grandfather's footsteps. His grandfather was a clock uh, repairman. So now this incredibly complex and advanced clockwork mechanism is brought to his shop from someone he doesn't know. Uh, he's supposed to repair it. He accidentally turns it on, and these clockwork bees, little Bees made out of gold start flying out, escape, and they start going all over the world. And they're launching at what it turns out to be some kind of doomsday device. He's actually accidentally turned on this doomsday device. Uh, well, it turns out that um, the the woman who uh, gave it to him is Edie Bannister. She's a 90-year-old woman who used to be a super spy, sort of the female James Bond. Mm-hmm. Complete with a Bondian level of libido. And, um, and, um, then it, it went through a long flashback to explain how she encountered the evil, um, so this is another pulp fiction element, the evil Asian mastermind, enigmatic Asian mastermind. Yeah, he's a great character. Yes. And, um, he is, so absurdly competent and evil, he can even dodge bullets. And that's one of the frustrating things about the novel. Just like Remo Williams, right? Yeah, they have all these fight scenes where um, Edie and the the Opium Khan, um, Shem Shem Tsien is his name, they'll both pull out guns and they'll take a few shots at each other and then they'll dodge the bullets. (laughs) And then the guns will jam or they'll just get bored with that and they'll toss them aside and then they'll whip out swords. And so the hand-to-hand combat is very exciting because it's very personal and it's face-to-face and, you know, mano a mano. But, of course, it's, it's in the 20th century, it's just pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the great uh, – so Joe is the uh, – but he, he finds out – well, let's just say there's a uh, French – a uh, woman scientist who's brilliant. She's a Hakote, which are essentially people who can intuit math and engineering. Uh, the example is um, someone who can look at a, a mechanical device and know to the minute when, when its bearings will fail and it will fall apart. Uh, these, uh, but she's also a phenomenal uh, mathematician, physicist, uh, inventor. 
she created the doomsday device. It is a um, apprehension engine, which yeah. means what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, this is that's the thing I wanted to know a hell of a lot more about, and well, mostly uh, not. But I want I want you to tell me about this apprehension well, engine. The, the, I can explain the effect. Of course, right. the question of how the apprehension, how a clockwork device that looks like a beehive yeah. can fundamentally transform human consciousness conscience consciousness um is utterly not even remotely explained it's just all handled hand i remember some section about waves something about taking the waves from the ocean yeah i mean into he, a cage or something that, nice then the brain has waves inside and somehow that, that relates to it okay yeah yeah but but still how does yeah it's true that he did it's it's like a 17-step uh, process, and he shows you step one, 16, and 17. You know, step one, steel underpants. Step two, step three, so it's question mark, question mark, question mark. Step 16, uh, on the quantum level, your consciousness is a waveform, uh, blah, 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 blah. Step 17, total apprehension. And apprehension means... Um, you you can instantly intuitive what is true and what is false. So what yeah. that means is no nobody will ever be able to get away with a lie. That's and right. um and um so also understand the universe uh, as yeah. it is, not not as as we see it. Now that's where it gets really cool. So Nick Harkaway is really interestingly interesting guy, right? He's interested in interesting things. A lot of writers. I read a lot of modern fiction, unfortunately, and they are not really interested in anything other than other books and how to write books like other books. This guy is not trying to copy anybody exactly. He's influenced maybe perhaps too much by everything. But, you know, the throwaway stuff in this book, for example, uh, I think there's one chapter, if the chapters do have titles, I think they do. Yes. There's one chapter... Uh, called, oh, what's it called? Habakkuk? Do you remember that one? Where there's a, a submarine? Uh, well, the chapters all have these three little, um, sort of enigmatic epigrams, like, uh, going postal amid the frills, the true origin. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so but, but the, what was it? What you, you were there's looking one for? chapter. There's one chapter where they're on a ship and the ship turns into a submarine or the submarine is sinking and they, they solve the submarine sinking problem when they're getting, uh, this is, I guess, right. in the 40s. <laughs> Frankly, um, the super genius uh, right. figures out a way to encase it in ice. Right. But yeah. not just regular ice. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's a special kind of ice. Now, the thing is, is I'm... I think I'm a lot like Nick Harkaway in that I'm really interested in, in history and in science and sort of weird little thingies. Um, but I don't write them down, right? He's writing them down. So, so this chapter basically is just an excuse to talk about this really cool World War II project and put it in a World War II setting, yeah. which was, okay, Churchill's got this problem there. All the ships are being sunk by the, by the U-boats. How do we solve it? Well, we don't have any um, aircraft carriers that can't be sunk by by the uh, the Nazis. So, what if we built a aircraft carrier out of ice, a giant aircraft carrier 
Um, well, if it was made on a device, it would melt and also blah, blah, blah. So some guy comes up with an idea to make it out of sawdust and ice. Um, just yeah, leave they, it in the, the Atlantic. This is a real project. Yeah, right? Churchill said, we'll, we'll put a, a metal superstructure on top of the, uh, iceberg. And someone right. said, no, that won't work because the metal will melt. Distort, yeah. Through, it'll, 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 the ice will melt underneath it and it'll gradually sink through. And so then somebody right. said, well, wood, wood would work. Yeah. And so there's all sorts of cool, you know, ideas coming from this abandoned project. It, it basically, by the point in the war where they were, you know, seeing how expensive it would be to make and like they made one in Alberta, uh, you know, a miniature one in, in Lake Louise or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they, by that point in the war, it, it was like, oh, we've got the U-boats basically licked now, right? I mean, they start off and the U-boats are sinking everything. And by the end of the war, there's, you know, being in the U-boat service was like the most dangerous part of being a Nazi, mm. right? It was like the way to get killed. So uh, that project never came to fruition, but it's a very cool little factoid about World War II and it's kind of, it's it's just cool and interesting. So, excuse me. How did you make the connection between the the frozen submarine and the frozen aircraft carrier? Because I oh, the project it's called Project Habakkuk, and it's mentioned at the beginning of the chapter. Oh. And then the guy starts talking about seaweed and the elephant, and I'm like, okay, that's. <laughs> but see, that's the problem. Is Nick Harkaway is thinking exactly like I am? Right? He's saying this is cool. So if I was writing a book, it would be like this. It would be a big jumble of cool ideas. But I don't and, write And for our listeners' sake, we should just note that, yes, you really did just mention a submarine and an elephant in the same sentence. And that's because, yes, Nick Harkin really did put an elephant on a submarine. And tried to feed it with seaweed. And, it yes. like, it, it, it basically, <laughs> this book has dream logic. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. I believe that them has cool dreams. Uh, when we discussed this in the uh, book club uh, here in Ann Arbor, um, someone mentioned that they had read that Nick Harkaway wanted the fr- wanted the submarine encased in ice, so he shopped around to some friends of his who were physicists or something, and nobody could figure out a way to make this work that that would uh, be justifiable with the laws of physics. And at the end, Harkaway said. Okay, well, I'm going to put it in anyway. Yeah. So I, that's a rumor that I heard anyway. It's certainly believable. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one, one thing that uh, I, I didn't let you finish your, your summation of the plot, but I think we're, we, we were headed towards the direction of finding out, well, you know. Yeah, that's fine. Can, can our character solve the crisis he's accidentally started? And uh, there's torture. There's a lot of torture. There's uh, sex, there's romance, there's uh, a Tommy gun, there's a bunch of other stuff. There's a, there's a, a rousing speech like the St. Crispin's Day speech. Yes, that was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> it's an adventure book, okay? I got, I got that going near the end. I'm like, oh, okay, it's just an adventure book. One of the things I saw in Goodreads that I did not think was what this book was is it's supposed to be a humor book or a comedy book. I don't think it's, I think it's fun, but I didn't, I didn't find myself laughing at anything. I would call it a romp. It's maybe a romp, but not a comedy. Well, it's really funny. 
I I didn't laugh. I smiled. <laughs> it's, it's silly. Silly, I think, is not the same as comedy. Okay. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not a, uh, it's not even supposed to be funny exactly, I don't think. Um, but there's, there's this other theme that is incredibly weird. Now, you were saying how literary the characters were, right? Yeah. They're, they've got illusions coming out of yin-yang, and I think that's true. However, um... There's something weird about the way he's the focus on this, and I haven't read anything other than Angel Maker by Harkaway. Have you read the the first one? What was the first no. one called? It's Far Away World, Gone Away, Gone Away World. That's I it. Think. Um, and there's a new one called Tiger Man. So I don't know if that that it's just there's a special theme for this book, um, or if it's you know something that just unites all. You know, writers have a tone, um, but. Based on just what's going on in this book, I would say he's doing something that I think is kind of about what steampunk is about. Is this a steampunk book, would you say? Absolutely. Clock. Well, there's like a little bit of steam. Yeah, it's clock punk or whatever, right? Um, You guys know, by the way, where this is. This is a Harkaway thing to do. (laughs) Um, You know where the word punk came from? Originally, not like like uh, punk rock, but you mean yeah. as in like a a young a thug, and not just young thug. It's a young prostitute, young male prostitute. Oh, yeah, and no, no so it's it's like a um, it's 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 sort of a London street um, uh, word that you know we've seen transformed into cyberpunk, right and. <laughs> <laughs> a steampunk and a bunch of other, you know, just punk rock, right? The idea is it, it's coming from the street. Um, now, one of the things that I think is a uniting theme throughout all of the punk genres, you know, steampunk and cyberpunk, is is it's about the visual. It's about the body. It's not about the mind as much as it's about the body and and about the visual. So in cyberpunk... Uh, you know, if you're reading Neuromancer, he's taking drugs. Uh, the main character's taking drugs. Molly's got her glasses, you know. Um, it's about, you know, basically looking like a punk as well as acting like a punk. Mm-hmm. Um, in Steampunk, I've never found a Steampunk book that I thought was a great book. And I think the problem is, is it's Steampunk. It, it's never going to be a book. It's a visual medium. It's about dressing up, putting on corsets and steampunk goggles or brass goggles and, you know, Mm. sort of not really caring about the function, but more about the form and about the color and that sort of thing. Are there steampunk movies that you've enjoyed or, or I've seen, you know, I've no, I've seen, I've read some steampunk novels and or clock punk novels. Maybe some Miyazaki, uh, animated movies. But even so, even if even if it's not about my enjoy, my enjoyment, I think is based on part part of my argument here. And basically, that that is that because it's about the visual and because it's about the body as opposed to about um, ideas, I'm just not going to be that interested in it. So one of the effects that you see in this book is there's an obsession with body parts, an obsession with torture in the way that Mel Gibson likes to torture himself in his movies. There's an obsession with torture in this book, 
and there's an obsession with the visceral. Uh, so, for example, if you take the book and do a word search and type in finger, right? Mm-hmm. How do you remember how many times people's fingers were cut off in this book? Cut off several times. Wow. wow, people's fingers were cut off several times. Yeah, but you know, people's fingers get cut off. I mean, you, you, yeah, in your day to day life, that happens all the time. So you don't. Really one of the good re- one of the Goodreads reviews pointed out uh, one point that I I glossed over in my reading, and that was uh, how Joe becomes obsessed with a toe. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the example I was thinking of. Um, is Polly Cradle the love interest? Right. Introduced, he first notices her toe, and he spends what several sentences just yeah. describing how sexy her toe yeah. is. How, how knowledgeable uh, this toe is. Oh you know, yes, that's the humor, but, I guess. Is the because, idea is that, because she sticks, she stops him. He's walking past her, so she stops him by sort of sticking her toe, what between his it, legs or in his yeah, crotch or something. Exactly. So then, once he's done describing the toe, he moves on to the foot Cap. and yeah, then from there the le- and that's exactly what you're talking about yeah right you can say there's a lot of male gazing in this book well even but even, even before that right early in the book right after the cat i don't know if you guys remember there's a cat yes and then the after- cat, he's right at the beginning and he he has no plot function whatsoever disappears completely so this this <laughs> book is like a thousand Chekhov's guns <laughs> almost none of which go off <laughs> Uh, no, a lot of them. Off. Dozens, dozens does, of them go off. Does the cat actually talk, or is that just like a, a pretend thing? No, 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 there's a oh, no. dog that talks. Oh, and he has no teeth or something? He, his, he let's, let's be clear, thoughts. gentlemen. It's his thought his thought processes which are expressed. He, he I mean, like an audio book, it kind of sounds like the dog is talking. He's the snowy of uh, of this novel. He he is <laughs> to um, uh, Joe Spork, what, um, or really Edie Bannister, what snowy is to... Um, um, oh, good heavens, the, um... Tintin. Tintin, yes. Oh, I was wondering what that was. If you remember, yeah, Snowy, it ta- thinks all the time, but he never actually speaks out loud. Yeah, I got, I didn't make that connection, but... Uh, yeah, I haven't, re- I haven't read that. That's slightly better. You haven't read Tintin? No. Oh, shame oh, on you. Damn. I should, I damn. should. Your life has a giant hole in it. Yeah, and you're a terrible person. But, 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 a well. lot of those books have really small print, so I need I need to get a big print a big print of it. No, no, they're they're big. Tintin is. Uh... I've, yeah, I've seen both editions. Oh well, get the big ones. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Don't see the movie. <laughs> um. I was thinking Angel Maker would be a really good uh, HBO show as long as they got somebody else to run the editing process because there's lots of lots of content in there. Yeah, and right. of course it would be chopped down for the movie version. Exactly. Enormous amounts would be hacked off, and I bet it would be better at the movie. I, I would concede oh, that. Better. And you I, could preserve a lot of the dialogue, which is sure. one of his strengths. There's lots of good dialogue. There's lots of good stuff in here. Yeah. Um, but it really it it suffers enormously. I think you know, as a romp. I mean, one of the you know arguments that it's a comedy uh, is just. Everybody's name, you know, Spork is, you know, it's a half spoon, half fork. Okay. His best That's, friend is Billy Friend. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. Polly Cradle. Okay. I got it. It's a little bit of sex, little bit of a uh, baby. You know, I got oh, it. Boy. It's fine. Um, but 
Realism uh, is not being strived for. No. I, I, yeah, and that's right. But for me, just that obsession, like if you look at the word cloud I made, you know, this giant word cloud of, of books, uh, words from the book. I like to do this because it really gives you a sense of what the book is talking about all the time. Maybe not saying, but talking about what words are being used. Um, it's, if you start looking, they're all body parts, right? Hands and legs and eyes and, uh, if you read like, uh, Dracula, where, that's, that's a novel that presumably is all about, uh, body parts, right? You know, necks and teeth and stuff. It's not like that, right? The description of people is almost non-existence, where in this, the description is over-description. Um, and not just people, his apartment, you know, is overly described. Uh, that cliche thing where the main character looks at himself in the mirror, you know, the nudge, nudge, wink, wink thing that authors do to give us a picture of what the character looks like so that we can visualize it. Mm-hmm. Well, mirror in this case is not a mirror. It's a piece of brass, right? <laughs> Polished brass. And he says, yeah, when I look at myself in the mirror, I see, you know, myself as I, I should be not as, you know, that green reflective surface that a piece of mirror gives you, but this brass makes me, you know, and then he describes himself. Very clever, Nick Harkaway. You've done <laughs> the thing all writers are trained not to do, but you've <laughs> done it as a humorous way of describing, you know, I want this guy with an editor right behind him, ready to whip him every time he starts going off on a tangent. It doesn't flow in the right way. The apprehension engine is amazingly interesting. We just need to be told what, how, what implications it has, not just, you know, there's a, a little diatribe or not diatribe, little description of what, you know, Rene Descartes was working on. And I thought, Oh, it's going to connect up with, uh, and it doesn't. <laughs> so it's adventure, I guess. Is, is, is that the main genre? Um, uh, a, uh, steampunk, uh, pulp adventure. Sure. Okay. Well, it's a spy thriller too. Yeah. But the I main thing, I like that pulpy kind of stuff, Jesse. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Robert E. Howard, but one of the things I like Robert E. Howard for is he, his muscular description of color is, um, it's not run, I mean, he writes short. I think there's something about, not writing more, but writing better. So if, if this book had been properly edited, you would have been perfectly much, much, happy. Much, much happier, yes. Yeah, okay. But, and yeah, I don't reasonable. think it was edited. I don't think, if it was, it was, you know, copy edited. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was proofread. Mm-hmm. Because I, uh, I can't imagine somebody saying, you know, this all makes sense. It's perfectly logical. Because it's not. It's, it's, it's meandering and the meander, I mean, that, it is this Chekhov's gun problem. Yes. Is a serious issue. And I think, you know, if you do read the reviews, all those positive reviews all have the same complaint. Yes. And that is, he is, uh, very interesting and I had trouble reading it. 
And that trouble is not because you have tr- you have trouble within you. It's because it's not well put together. And I think part of that is the tense. I mean, there's no reason to have it be this sort of odd, off tense if it's not going to. I mean, you might as well do a future tense if you, if you're just going to mess around with it. That makes no sense either. I don't understand why it would. Angel Makers Neil Stephen by way Neil Neil Stevenson by way of PG Wodehouse says somebody mm-hmm. yeah that sounds about right so yeah uh, if somebody can get him an editor I think this guy has real potential for a book I guess some people like drowning in a world like epic fantasy books so there, there does seem to be an audience for this but uh, oh yeah oh yeah. Other people just like uh, more linear plots and more streamlined. So it depends on your taste. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Oh, I, I, one of the reviews, I don't know if it was the one you sent me, Tim, um, or maybe it was a Goodreads review. It was saying, you know, Grimm's fairy tales, the characters are all just puppets, right? They're, they're not, the character's logic doesn't make any sense. Um, but because the situations are so extreme uh, and so une- inexplicable, we fill in the details ourselves, and and we don't really care about this, the characters. We care about the situations, and we remember the the plots. Um, and this person, I think it was a woman writing the review, she said that uh, this is the exact same thing, except it's over description. Uh, making them uh, caricatures. And so when we get to the point in the book where Joe, Joe, Joe Joseph Spork, Spork, is that his name? Joshua Joseph or simply Joe. Right, Joshua Joseph Spork. When he finally says, finally, I'm making a decision, right? I'm coming to a conclusion. I'm going to embrace my, my, uh, gangsterhood and you know he goes and gets the tommy gun and um i was like oh yeah i guess this character has not been really the main character he's just sort of been riding the 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 wash of the wave of of nick harkaway all the way to that point in the book and it really it was like it's the complaint that people say about uh, i've heard luke burge say about about um American Gods, you know, Shadow is a character without motivation. He's just having stuff happening to him, and then later on we might find out why that's happening. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I found American Gods dull, and and now that you mention it, I think yeah, the the main character, the tip, you know, the the character arc, it's it's um, you know, if you want to get all Joseph Campbell, uh, uh, take that approach. Then it's typically a reluctant hero. And then there's a turning point, should be midway, where yeah. he decides, okay, I've got to take up, pick up the sword and fight, and I've got to accept my mission. And then it's a period of training, and then at the end he fights and wins. Um, yeah, in this book, you're right, um, it's 80% of the way, or 90% of the way, where um, Joe picks up the Tommy gun. And it feels completely false, too. I mean, the, the thing is, is... It, uh, the whole book feels completely well, false. Well, it's, 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 uh, it's indulgent um, because 
Yeah, he's going to win the battle in the end by... De- okay, shall we spoil the ending completely here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's going to win the battle by decapitating the bad guy. This is a bad guy who's won every fight. He's dodged yeah. every bullet, literally. And he decapitates him by shooting his head off, you know, shooting him through the neck with a Tommy gun, um, yeah. uh, which somehow catches him by surprise, this evil mastermind. Um, you know... They had it, Tommy guns around in the 40s, you know. Well, I mean, um, yeah. So, unskilled so it's shooter. A, it's a, is that like a machine gun so he can shoot multiple yeah, bullets? It's yeah, it's a Chicago gangster-style gun that ended up in London somehow. So that his father had, his father the gangster. So, you know, it's a really cool, uh, you know, visual, but your your brain is telling you that, you know, why... Why did that defeat the evil mastermind when everything else did not defeat him? It's it's very dissatisfying. It's frustrating. You really have to turn off uh, large portions of your brain very aggressively Which to is really enjoy the end. Really unfortunate because because like there is interesting stuff and like uh, me I could start like if if I had just given a little bit more apprehension engine on a, a, a uh, you know. Ten fewer toes being licked and and fingers <laughs> being cut off uh, because battle. Don't, don't forget the the um, train powered vibrating bed. Right, uh, you know, like I I like that the train was named Ada Lovelace, but I'd much rather read a chapter about Ada Lovelace <laughs> than have her just be name checked. Or the fact and, that um, the the evil warlord's castle where the apprehension engine exists, just happens to have an unused set of tracks that lead right up to the wall so that this train, which is not a very useful, you know, trains are cool, but they're limited. They they have to yeah. run on tracks. You know, yeah, they're so the, not the, off-road the vehicles. They seem cheap, like cheap kind of complaints, right? Because this is obviously, uh, you know, an unplugged wild adventure book right. that doesn't really care about logic. But I think that, that 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 excuse wears a little thin after hour nine. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, if, it had been those, a, if, he, if he's going to write a breezy book, it should go by in a breeze. It should, it should, be, should, be, it should yeah. be quick. Yeah, I agree. It's more now, like a hur- hurricane. With regard to the apprehension mm-hmm. engine, um, the uh, thing I was thinking about, I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's an excellent book. And also, there's a short story that's not quite as excellent, uh, Blood Music by Greg Bear. You guys read that? I, heard of no. I read the short story. Okay, so the short story, is, the problem with that one is, although it's, 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 a, it, it's more like a taste of what's going on, I'm not a big fan of you know, novels expanded from short stories, but in this case, it, it works quite well. Um, and Greg Bear himself is a guy who had very much difficulty explaining what the hell he's trying to say on a page. Uh, a lot of his, sh- especially novels, you read them and they say, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. I know he's trying to say stuff, but I don't get it. And, you know, uh, I don't know why some writers have this problem. Uh, it, it seems to be in science fiction writers more often. Is you know, they're, they're just, they're more interesting than good writers. Well, science fiction is harder because of all the info dumping that, has to happen. But are you talking no, about Greg Bear? Yes, Greg Bear. Okay. Greg Bear. Did he write so, Eon? 
He did, yes. I read that, and that's one that by him that I did read, and I enjoyed that. I can sense that he. I've not read it, John. That's, um, that's, he, that's he's got a story clearly. I think Scott like that too. He's got a story collection called uh, "The Wind from a Burning Woman," which is uh, some of the best, you know, fiction I've searched. It's one of the best author collections of fiction. Such a good selection of ideas, and you know, not utterly confusing at all times, uh, but wildly different, you know, premises and systems and, you know, styles of writing and styles of ideas. But more importantly, it's just really good. So despite all these caveats, I'm saying for flood music, one of the things that it does is it says, okay, what effect would it have if uh, the gray goo problem, that's what kind of it's about, uh, were to go, come about and what is the nature of consciousness? And it, and it merges those ideas, uh, in the way that I, I wanted, you know, to be explored by the apprehension engine, which, you know, the idea in, in behind what Nick Harkaway's going for here, where one of the characters, at least one, at least one of the characters in this book has, has the effect happen to him, right? Where he, he sees the world for how it is. Yes. There's a um, whole they they tried it on a an entire English village and everyone right. went insane. Right. So, uh wh- one of the cool ideas is is that, you know, exploring what that would mean is is it the case that we can actually we are not seeing the world directly? Because a lot of people argue that, right? That's what Descartes was arguing. Um because we're seeing it through the medium of our senses, we are therefore not seeing it as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, we don't understand physics as it is. We understand sort of medium-sized objects as, as best, right? You know, like trucks and trees and stuff. And we don't understand them on a cellular level. We don't understand atomic physics on a, on a visceral level. We have to see these things indirectly. Um, and so this apprehension engine... Is it going to allow us to see the world on a particular, you know, particle level, chemical level, all that exploration that should happen if it's a, you know, straight ahead science fiction-y book, not, not an adventure comedy or whatever, romp, I guess, then it would be really cool. It would be like, wow, I want to, I want to find out what's going to happen. What, what, what's this going to mean? But no, we get more. Fingers being cut off and 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 that's and it's just it's frustrating. I found it very frustrating because this guy obviously has a lot of potential to write cool stuff, but if he doesn't get an editor, he's screwed. Well, but he's going to do fine. But I'm not going to be able to read him, which is unfortunate because I'd like to. Well, this is only his second novel, and yeah, 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 yeah. He, that's the, um, the, the he third novel just a, came out. He sold the uh, rights to his first novel for like uh, three hundred thousand pounds. So somebody Crazy. likes it, and and as we already discussed, obviously the movie people are looking at his stuff and saying, "Yeah, we we can adapt this. This is going to be when when we're done with it, it's going to be a good movie." So that's all <laughs> they care about. Yeah, uh, probably well, yeah. make a TV series instead of a movie, though. That would be interesting. Maybe if if it had an ending. Right. <laughs> it, might, it might work as a comic book as well. I mean, it, yeah. it's much more comic booky in plot yeah. uh, than it is animation. a TV yeah. show. Uh, yeah, maybe animation. I don't know. Uh, one thing that we, uh, you know, he's a 
fairly new writer, but he is the son of John Le Carré. Right. Um, oh, is he? Okay. Yes. And um, so people have pointed out that here, here you have a main character, Joe Spork, who is, you know, the uneasy inheritor of this, um, this, uh, um, this, um, his father's inheritance is uh, famous, Sox. notorious gangster. John McRae is the gangster. Well, you know, th- th- there's a little bit of, you know, paging Dr. Freud here, you know, is, is, <laughs> is, does Nick Harkaway identify with Joe Spork? Perhaps. Uh, uh, because because that, in the end, in the end, Joe comes like, around. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Joe comes around and finally says, okay, I am going to do what my father uh, taught me to do. Oh. And maybe, maybe Nick Harkaway res- initially resisted the idea of becoming a writer. Uh. Who knows? Pure speculation. Um, well, all I know is he like Joe Hill and an editor. Because his dad's books were a lot smaller than this. <laughs> and even, even later in life, Le Carre books tend not to be this long. See, he's rebelling against his father by writing longer but books. I don't, I, I honestly think that it's all about, you know, the two things. No editors. Everybody just publishes whatever. Do editors even exist anymore? It doesn't seem like it. Not as editors anymore. I mean, Mar- uh, there's a uh, Marissa Vu. Uh, she's an editor, but she's freelance, right? She does it for she does it for people who want to get their books published, right? Trying to sell it to actual editors at publishing houses, <laughs> whose job is not to edit but to buy. So right? she she works directly for the author, in other words. Yeah. She works for the author. That's right, and tries to make the book better. So. This guy should have sent it to Marissa. She would have said, wow, you got a lot of great ideas here and they need to be tamed <laughs> because you're going to distract. But the thing is, is I think I'm wrong in the sense that, like, was it you, Tim? You were saying a lot of people just want to enjoy a ride and live in a world. Cause that's, well, like the epic fantasy yeah. mindset, yeah. Uh, you just want to drown in the environment. That's right. They, because they're trying to escape their life, right? This is the way... To do it, I, I I was watching a. Uh, well, they, they just like it for whatever reason. Plus, if if you have an enormous amount of world building to do to make a convincing world, then you uh, the reader has made an investment, you know, by page two hundred and fifty, uh-huh. in understanding all this stuff. Now, okay, let's spend some time. I've learned I've learned what this world is. I want to stay here. That right. makes sense. I I was watching a documentary called Darkon. It's from two thousand six. It's about uh, people who do LARPing, you know, live-action role-playing. Um, basically, Dungeons & Dragons, but in the park. Oh, I, uh, I, didn't, I don't know that term. That's interesting. Oh, uh, Cory Doctorow was big on So it's that. Renaissance Fair uh, it's taken Renaissance to the next Fair, level. But more, more, it's more like hitting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's lots of speeches yeah, and stuff. More but, Jim, Jim, Jim Butcher does that. that uh, right, okay. But Dresden the, Files is out there. The people in the documentary, you know, they work at Starbucks, they're students, they, you know, have jobs in cardboard factories, you know, they have regular everyday jobs and families um, and kids, but they spend their time, uh, you know, hoping to get to the weekend so that they can go do their LARP. And it's kind of sad because, you know, their LARP is not that interesting. You know, I was looking, they've got this map of, you know, all the lands that they've conquered and it's like, oh, there's one's called Elador, and the other one's called Aquilonia. <laughs> it's like, 
the depth of the of the world building is, you know, oh, I read that book. I'll put that in there. <laughs> and and then they go and hit each other and wear costumes. And it's probably and, more I mean, fun to play it than to watch. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think that's right because I I would be like, okay, I got. I mean, I I, I like Dungeons and Dragons. I like. Uh, you know, but I like it sort of on a higher level, a little less physical, a little more intellectual, uh, more wordplay and less, um, uh, less, you know, taping. There's a lot of sh- scenes where people are taping their shields back together, <laughs> duct tape and, and, you know, practicing with their swords. And, um, it's, it's, it's kind of sad, but I think a lot of people, they do just want to escape from their horrible day job. And yeah. immerse themselves, drown themselves, as you're saying, Tam, in the universe of someone else's story because the world, the life they're living is not like it, this is a total escape. His fantasy book, the guy is just an average schlub, right? Who's got a, you know, he's got the destiny of whatever. But more importantly, I mean, he doesn't do anything for most of the book other than get into trouble yes. and get tortured. Yes. They should have oh, a, um, you call that a LARP? Yeah, live a action. Live yeah. action role they should thing. do one based on the map that Thomas Jefferson made of the, uh, uh, Northwest Territories. He, he invented state names, which cool. are absolutely hilarious. You should look that up. Um, Asenicipia, Michigania, that one's obvious, but Metropotamia, <laughs> Pelisipia, Polypotamia, Sylvania. Yeah, good stuff there. Nice. I'm using that actually in my novel that I'm writing, which will be oh. done probably in another two years. Have you got an editor? <laughs> well, I'd better get one now after everything you said. I will certainly yeah. no. be getting one. But but see, I could be wrong. I Just make it long. Make it long and full of lots of good ideas, and I think you might yeah. get yourself a $300,000 uh, uh uh, there's good stuff in this book. It's yeah. just total discipline for me. I would say, you know, maybe it's a it's a way to there, there's this new audience of people who are trying to escape. I mean, I, I always you know tell my my friends who are not on the podcast, you know, you're not like most people. You read books, <laughs> but even the people who read books are not all like alike because. The, some of them, that's, you know, they can't get immersed enough on a TV show because it's only one hour a week, you know. They need to be fully immersed in the eight hours that they're awake, that they're not at work. Mm-hmm. And that is, is I would say, it's, it's wrong. But, you know, I'm, I'm living my life. They're living their life. So, I don't know. To each their own. Yeah, I guess. But if it was me, make it shorter and better. That's what I'm saying to yeah. you, Fred. Yeah, we I should guess, have warned you know, that I we think... prefer like the shorter, like a unit of Jesse is only seven hours. So that's already three Jesse's. I, I, I did uh, Ivanhoe, which is 18 hours. I did. And it's a great book. Great, great, great book. But it's, it's really well written. Right? And that's that an was... adventure too, right? It is a total romance adventure. He yeah. invented the uh, historical novel Absolutely. with that, but it's really well written, and and he invented the Roma, the the modern medieval romance. Oh yeah, okay. Things like 
like um, like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones couldn't exist without this book. Uh-huh. So that was less. That was more linear than this book, like less episodic. Oh, totally, totally. You know, it may be for me that why I like this book and completely forgave its uh, failings is because I am writing a novel, you know, my first novel, <laughs> and I look at the things that Harkaway does with the the dialogue and the clever weaving together, uh, setting up the scene. He doesn't. There's not a single scene which simply advances the plot, and of course many of them don't advance the plot at all, but those that do, he's still got to have fun and add an extra layer of cleverness, and I just think, boy, I I have so many scenes in my novel right now in the first draft where it's just, chug. okay, let's check off the boxes, we got to get these plot points in, in these, you know, 1500 words, let's get it done and move on. And uh, so... I feel like I really learned a lot about uh, writing and making things more multi-layered from Nick Hardaway. Mm. And so I will never, never forget or cease to be grateful for what he has taught me. Mm. Yeah, not, I, I don't have ambitions as a, as a writer of fiction at all. And so that, and I think for the exact reason that I'm complaining, because when I did write fiction, you know, I would say this is terrible because it it it's all over the map. It doesn't get to the point. I, like I read it and I say I don't like this, even you're, though I'm the one who wrote it. I'm like this is terrible. You're you're too good of a reader to tolerate your I, uh, I first amateurish attempts. I'm, I'm too much of a snob to like. I think you really <laughs> have to be sort of an sort of a Blind to your own faults. Oh yes, I yeah, mean, blind self blindness is is a wonderful tool for <laughs> any artist. Absolutely. Well, I I think you have to get you have to get it later. You have to get sort of you know. Yeah, it's judge- a delicate balancing. There's like these four four boxes in a grid. You've got your competent and incompetent, and then you've got your uh, and, and on the other axis, aware and self aware and unself aware. Yeah. And you start out incompetent and not self-aware. And then to get to where you want to be, you have to pass through the really painful uh, square, which is the incompetent but self-aware. And then gradually you move up to the painful process of getting to competent and self-aware. And then finally you get so good at it, everything's intuitive, and then you move back to Self unaware, even though you don't forget about the the inevitable decline. <laughs> the inevitable decline is the writer gets older and older. Oh well, that's already uh, happened to me too. Yes. But, yeah, and it, well, like I'm thinking, like Elmore Leonard. You know, like oh. Elmore Leonard uh, was really good from the start. Uh, had some clunkers in the middle, but you know his later books about uh, you know a diver. You know, not so great. <laughs> I, I was a big fan of Elmore Leonard, but as the books went on, mm-hmm. as he got, you know, he's up into his 90s. Yeah, you know, I only read one. Doing his so. own research. He's got a He hires someone for the research. You know, Jackie Brown is, a, or a Rum Punch, as it was called, is is much better than, you know, some of his later stuff. And I, I think that, you know, Stephen King's going to get there at some point, too. He's just going to not be. I mean, I, I think some people argued that 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 was the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, you could have, you know, uh, the opposite career where it's, uh, it's like William Gibson, great first book. And then everything else is sort of mediocre. Yeah. 
Uh, his uh, success, Nick Harkaway's success, reminds me of Richard K. Morgan's, you know, his debut book, Altered Carbon. Did you read that? No. Tam, you read that, right? Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good, pretty great. There was some problems that he he keeps the same problems uh, with his subsequent books, but as long as he's, they're not in series, they, I find them to be all really good. Um, but he yeah, he met with really good success, you know, monetarily for his first book, and then uh, he became you know official employed writer can quit his day job and write books, but. Uh, if you if if you run out of ideas, don't you? Well, Nick Harkaway might overwrite because his brain is just this overflowing fountain of ideas, or it oh. might be that he's driven by a need to prove something. If it's the <laughs> latter, then at some point he's probably going to mature and relax and say, "Okay, yeah, I, I'm writing. I'm a writer. I'm writing these books." And he might just get a little bored with overwriting, and it, it, it I, you know, I'm hopeful. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would like to check in at some point. I like that it's not a sequel to anything. Yeah. So it's not. Uh, there's no. Uh, at the end of this book, I, there's no sense that there's going to be a sequel to this. Um. I. That. Those are all good things. I can't remember how you sold me on this, uh, Fred. I don't remember what the. Maybe I was just I I I don't know. Maybe I just thought you you and Tam seem to be so utterly obsessed with this um, uh, novel discussion group that huh. when I mentioned that we read it, and then I think I said something like it would be great for to discuss on SFF Audio. I expected you to like it more than you did uh, because well, in the discussion, people were very positive. They just thought it was enormous fun. They totally they they jumped on board and they don't wrote read books with it. for fun. I think that's the thing. I read them for edification. Ah, okay, that's your oh, is like probably the issue, right? Like, yeah, okay. Just doesn't like but, to have fun. I no, I I I do enjoy a fun book now and again, but uh, they have to be really well written. Like uh, Mike Resnick, right? Um, he writes really poorly researched novel. He doesn't really research. He just has a feeling and he writes on a subject. Oh. It's very into, uh, uh, I'm very much. He, he's definitely less descriptive and uh, shorter. Oh, it's all dialogue. Really? Yeah. It's all dialogue, but I'm, I'm very much a, a fan of instinctual writers, people who write without doing, you know, like we're going to do a show on, um, uh, Dean Koontz. I don't think Dean Koontz has spent more than an hour researching anything before he started writing. <laughs> and that's not a joke. I mean, he his stuff is very much, you know, seems to be his life. Right? He's got a dog. He likes dogs. He <laughs> thinks his dog is, you know, could if his dog could speak, what does his dog say? And then he has serial killers, uh, you know, uh, doing things. And there's monsters and stuff. Um, the people who don't read... You know, like, people who write like that, like Lawrence Block or Donald Westlake, you know, they can write really good stuff if they had some life experience early on that allows them to sort of work those, you know, there's some people, they keep writing the same novel over and over again. Yeah. Um, those instinctual writers can be really interesting because they're getting at something in the subconscious, something 
the working out human issues. Yes. Not just const- like like your the way you're describing your process of making the novel. There's a plot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys they don't do it that way. They just they sit down at the typewriter and start working on some you know trauma in their life, or they have some idea. Wouldn't it be interesting if? And then they just see where it goes. Uh, Stephen King's doing that, right? right. A lot of writers uh, do it. Right? Neil Those Gaiman is a discovery writer, and he he has a well enough developed intuition where he'll just sprinkle plot points in there mm. in the beginning. And then knowing he knows what kind of plot point is useful. So he'll put one in there. And then later on, I guess that's, that's, I think that's what he has said. Yeah. He figures he, out how he'll use it. In the book, that's what it looks like. I, I don't know his writing process, but um, the, the people who, yeah, the people who seem to be able to churn out a lot of books and they do it whether they want to or not. <laughs> they are they are instinctual writers, and th- those kinds of books I can really enjoy. But if uh, I don't think Harkaway is an instinctual writer as much as he is trying to construct a plot, and he's got a lot of things he's talking he wants to put in there because they're all cool, right? He'd be more like me. I'm not an instinctual writer. I had to be trained to write nonfiction. And uh, when I read my own fiction, I want to throw up and say, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> this guy has great ideas, but he can't make a plot to save, you know, anything. You should you should try writing, though. You should stick with it. No. <laughs> no, no. OK, well, my, if, you're, if you're happy, I mean, you, what you're doing with your website, all the all the 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 fiction, public domain fiction that you're curating is absolutely amazing. And that's a wonderful resource for my podcast. So let me just publicly thank you right now for not having pursued a writing career. That, that's I, I did. I did write a lot uh, of reviews and other things. I, I don't tend to do that anymore. Um, but that part of the problem with writing reviews is you sort of uh, you don't want to repeat yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I write reviews of most books, I will end up repeating myself because I see a lot of the same problems over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the the things that are good sometimes they don't need to have anything said. Of, you know, we're going to do a, a short story called "The Wonderful Window." It's four pages long by Lord Dunsany. There's, you know, it's it's a whole world. It's 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 basically a guy watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's basically the plot of the story. Watching and, it on TV, or what do you mean watching it? Yeah, you know, on a window in his room. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful metaphor, and I, I don't think there's going to be a lot to say about it. But it's a great story, right? You can't really review it. You can only talk about it. Mm. There's no way to sit down and say, "I would like to write a, write a review of this four-page story." Um, you could deconstruct it, but that's more of a writer's thing. You know, a lot of reviews uh, I don't like are the ones that, you know, this is how the guy put the book together. This part's too long. That part's too short. But that's why I also don't like reviewing books. I don't, you know, or listening to books I don't like because I end up doing things like this is what he did wrong. This is how he should have fixed it. And I'm not a writer of fiction. So how should I know? I'm only a reader. But no, I didn't hate this book. I, I don't want to say that I did. I just don't think it's very good. 
Sorry, Tim, you're breaking up there. What did you say? You give it five stars, but you have some problems. (laughs) Like everybody else on Goodreads, right? (laughs) Or they gave it four stars. No, This is the worst five-star book I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do the star reviews because obviously they can't capture... I mean, if I was going to do, I would say, does this guy have ideas? Five stars. Absolutely. Can this guy um, keep those ideas under control? Zero stars. <laughs> but, oh, I mean, it's way, I mean, there's, if you want to write badly, you can do much worse than this. I, I've read some, you know, steampunk stuff. People try and get me interested in their steampunk stuff, and they send me a thing, and I'll, I'll re- I, you know, I, we don't run that sort of thing, but I'm reading it, and it's like, so this is a steampunk setting with almost no steampunk, and the characters have no motivation, there's no background, there's nothing. Yep, this is terrible. Uh, this is not terrible. It's just, it's, it's not, it needs taming. Mm-hmm. It needs discipline of some kind. But you're right, it, the layering, it would be, it, it, it is important, and, and when it's done well, Oh, it's so good. I mean, I didn't realize that the Graveyard Book was a retelling of the Jungle Book until about halfway through the book. And I'm like, oh, I get it. That layering was there for me. And I experienced it and enjoyed it. But it wasn't um, hitting me over the head with it. It was just, it was there for the uh, experience, not there for the deconstruction. So what you're saying is this novel should have spent a few days in uh, the Just dungeon days. in the dungeon with Cumberbund and Titwistle. Yeah. I I think that would have helped. I mean, it it, it, it <laughs> the the most preposterous thing at the end, right, is when he does you know, the the underground, the British underground suddenly rallies to his his cry. Right. Who the hell is this guy? His dad was a famous... He's the game. son of Matthew Tommy Gunn's fork. That's who he is. Right. Who's been doing nothing <laughs> against the lie. He has no reputation That was at a all. pretty good speech, though. Come on, Jesse. Come in. If you were there, you would, be, you would be busting into a bank ten minutes after you heard that speech. No, I was thinking, uh, I don't want to follow this guy because I think we're going to have a big disaster it wasn't it was not the great train robbery it was uh, it was like who is this guy you know it sounds like but, it would be a good yeah. uh, Broadway musical you know <laughs> what I think that that would be bad I think that this would make a better musical than any other kind of story the book of the Hakote instead of the book of Mormon because because musical logic is exactly like the kind of logic that's going on here. There's no logic to it. It's just yeah. time for a song. <laughs> and then it, you know, dancing on the train, and then you have the the fight scene at the end. This would make a very good musical. It's a very good point, Tam. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.